Hey there, folks. This is John Oates, and you are listening to Everything Fab Four right here on Salon.com. Welcome to Everything Fab Four, a new podcast focused on fun and intelligent stories about the Beatles. I'm your host, Ken Womack, music culture columnist for Salon.com and a Beatles scholar and historian. No other band or popular phenomenon, for that matter, has enjoyed the global impact of the Beatles. They are part of our human fabric. They created an enduring music that brings people together, and just about everyone has their own Beatles story to tell some that are surprisingly deep and unexpected. With each episode, we'll be featuring a new guest to share their Fab Four journey, along with amazing theme music from Black Rabbit. Remember, it's a Beatles world, and everybody has a story. I don't have that kind of patience. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't want to work on something for years and years and years. Like, to, I, I, can't, I can't fathom that. I, I don't know how some people do it. Like, I just lose interest. Today's guest is a bona fide Broadway star, and he has plenty of Beatles stories to tell. Adam Pascal is an American actor, singer, and musician, known for his performance as Roger Davis in the original cast of Rent, Jonathan Larson's award-winning Broadway musical. Adam played the role on London's West End stage and subsequent touring productions around the world. He even played the part in Chris Columbus's 2005 film adaptation of Rent, but Adam is no one-trick pony. He has also appeared in Broadway productions of Elton John and Tim Rice's Aida, Rice's Chess, Pretty Woman, and classic musicals such as Memphis, Cabaret, Hair, and Chicago. In 2019, he returned to Broadway yet again, playing none other than William Shakespeare in the Tony Award-winning musical Something Rotten. Over the years, he's even recorded five albums. Welcome, Adam Pascal. Now, Adam, you're a serious fan. You even named your son Lennon. So I want to know, how is it that we're still listening to the Beatles 50 years later? I mean, first of all, I don't know anyone who's not a fan. Uh, you know, like, I mean, even it, you don't have to be an avid fan. You don't have to be somebody who listens to their music or puts it on. But I don't know anyone who would turn it off if it comes on the radio. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that that human exists. <laughs> I don't think that human exists either. Well, at a certain point, all of our Beatles journeys begin somewhere, someplace, sometime. What was your first taste of the Beatles? What was that song that got you hooked? I, I, I want to say I Want to Hold Your Hand was the first song I heard. Well, given that I'm talking to a, a bona fide Broadway performer, that, that seems like the perfect beginning, right? I mean, many of those early Beatles songs were these kinds of miniature musical numbers, the kind you might hear in a West End show, in the Beatles case, or, or on Broadway. Back, back in, 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 in sort of the late 50s and early 60s, the music in, in musicals wasn't so different than what pop music was, than what was happening in the world of music in general. You know, it's 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 only as time progressed and music progressed and pop 
became rock and rock splintered off in all these different directions and you know then the hip-hop and it's in a way obviously it's funny now with hamilton and rent and things like that it's, it's sort of like you know every once in a while it comes full circle but like um the 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 broadway and i use the word broadway to sort of encompass all musicals um that that music um became f further and further distant from what pop music was over time how does that shift occur adam what makes that uh that shift possible where broadway becomes uh more sophisticated i guess as like the Stephen Sondheims and like the, the the music became much more complex and and heady and you know it be, it 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 really became much more distant and, and Andrew Lloyd Webber and all that stuff um, became much more distant from from what you would hear on the radio, but I think that you know back in again especially certainly the late fifties um, uh, and early sixties I don't think it was that different you know what I mean I think the musical vocabulary that was being used to write those songs was was somewhat similar to the musical vocabulary that people were using to write, you know, songs that would be heard on the radio. No, I hear what you mean. So in other words, those songs during that period, particularly in the early part of the Beatles heyday, would have involved songs like She Loves You, which tell little miniature stories about, in that case, uh, a couple that can't communicate or other stories about loss or reunion or those sorts of great tropes. Sort of like the simplicity of the concept of love. You know what I mean? Like of this, so the, the early Beatles stuff very much reveled in that. You know what I mean? Um, and and, and, that, and the, the innocence in many ways. I want to hold your hand, love me do, all my loving. You know what I mean? Like they're very sort of like they are innocent in, in their sentiments. Of course, that sentimentality, that sense of innocence was destined, right, not to last. It, it simply couldn't survive the further they went on. Certainly, John's influence, I, I think, was was the influence that, get, that gave it more of the danger. You know what I mean? I definitely think that he was more of the, 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 the dangerous uh, sort of yin of the yang. <laughs> <You know? laughs> the yin of the yang. I think we've just coined our first phrase on everything Fab Four, uh, thanks to you, Adam. You know, it has always occurred to me that uh, it is John who tends to up the ante in terms of the subject matter of their work. Take, for example, No Reply on the Beatles for Sale album. Quite suddenly you have John uh, working in really dangerous territory. I mean, that character, unlike the one in those very earliest of Beatles songs, is a stalker. Well, while we have you here, I would be remiss not to ask about uh, Rent, which has been so significant uh, in your life and career. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the background that, that brought you there. I mean, you know, interestingly enough, obviously it, was, it came at the very beginning of my career, and I've done many shows since, but that certainly is the, the biggest success that I've been a part of. And so, yeah, so that certainly is what I'm most known for. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of that. It's, it's great to be associated with something that, after all these years, still has all this incredible longevity and still has an impact on people, you know, on younger people. It's not like it's, it's, not like it's still just the fans from, you know, 25 years ago. It's like I have kids, you know, teenagers, young teenagers who are still getting hooked into it, you know? Absolutely, I do. In fact, uh, I've had the pleasure of seeing uh, college-age students lip-syncing along with the words. Of course, one of the great tragedies of the story of Rent and its backstory and the making of it is 
that Jonathan Larson died so young. But did you get to know him, uh, given that uh, you were working on the ground floor? And of course, uh, as the the writer of the book, he would have been right there, correct? I, I didn't know him for that long because, you know, I, 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 I was cast uh, in December of 95 and he died two months later. He died in January of, 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 you know, of 96. So I only knew him for a few weeks and I knew him within the context of the rehearsal studio. And within that context, he was very much in the background. You know what I mean? The majority of his work was already completed. So, you know, you go into the rehearsal situation uh, and the director and the musical director take over and they become the dominant figures in the room. Um, and, and so Jonathan, you know, his, his presence was, was, um, was, uh, was very felt, obviously, but was, was um, subtle in the room on a day-to-day -day basis. You know what I mean? He was just very much an observer in that watching this thing that he created come to life, you know? Well, it must have been gratifying for him to see this this thing that he had slaved over for so many years really come into existence. And of course, what we know that he never got to find out was that it would become this cultural phenomenology, this, this thing that was much larger than him. But of course, he must have slaved over it for years. Well, yes, and he did. He worked on this for, for many years. And and I always, you know, I'm a songwriter. I've, and I've, I've, written tons of songs and I have records out and I'm, I am and have worked on a musical and, and I don't have that kind of patience. Like <laughs> I, I don't, I, I don't want to work on something for years and years and years. Like to, I that can't, I can't fathom that. And, and, but, but look, musical theater composers, certain many of them do do that, you know, and these processes, these long processes over years of, of, you know, writing and workshopping and rewriting and then workshopping and doing readings and this and that. Like, I don't know how some people do it. Like, I just lose interest, you know, like, you know, I, I, I love the way Elton John writes songs, um, which is if he doesn't write it in 20 minutes, it doesn't get written and he and it goes and it, and, the, and it goes away. That's right. He gets the lyrics from Bernie Taupin and it happens or it doesn't. And that, that, that's, I mean, clearly a testament to his brilliance in that it just comes to him like so quickly uh, again, or it doesn't. Um, but I just love that. Like, it's just boom, you know, it's done. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and uh, so it is, it, it takes a certain amount of love and patience um, for your process to be able to stick to it for that amount of time. You may go through phases where like, it doesn't do so like how you have a reading, the reading doesn't go well, you get bad, you know, you, you don't like all, you get too much criticism and too much, too many opinions. And, too, and then it's like, how do I sift through this? And, 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 you know, like not just throw the whole thing out, you know, the baby with the bathwater, like, like I, I don't have that kind of mind, you know what I mean? Um, and I'm, I'm always so impressed with people that do that, that can stay focused and not get, uh, so discouraged that they just scrapped the whole idea. Now, I've got to believe a little bit you're selling yourself short. I mean, you've been in many, many musical productions uh, that have taken, if not years, certainly months or weeks to prepare. Uh, I've got to feel like uh, you are very versed in the idea of rehearsal, right, and preparing for a role. Isn't that true? Well, it depends. You know, look, there's, there's two 
there's two experiences that I've, that I've had, which is the experience of creating a new role, uh, which I did in Rent and in AIDA, um, and then taking over an already existing role. Um, and they both have their, uh, their, their pros and cons. Um, I am, not surprisingly, after what we just discussed, I'm much more of a fan of taking over an already existing <laughs> role, you know, because it's it's already the, the 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 grunt work has already been done by somebody else. You know what I mean? Uh, it's sort of like okay, uh, I just got to put on the costume and learn the words and have somebody teach me choreography and I'm good to go. You know, and 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 generally that takes a that's two weeks. You know, you know, I, I, I've in all the roles that I've taken over on Broadway, you get two weeks to learn it, and you're in. Um, and you know, it's a lot, and it's very, it's a very intense two weeks, because you know, at least my process is I'll rehearse, you know, eight, ten hours a day, and then I'll go and rehearse three or four hours at home, like by myself. You know, just going over stuff, and especially when it comes to choreography, like I have to really put in the effort for that because I'm not a trained dancer. So like I have to really put in extra work to learn how to memorize all that stuff. Um, but uh, but it's a lot, you know what I mean? And but again, in two weeks you're on the stage and you're doing it, and um, as opposed to creating a role, you know what I mean? Like you could stay with a show for years, you know what I mean? If you get cast early on. In a, in a in sort of like readings and early workshops and you end up staying with it the whole time you know that that th th those processes are in many cases years long um and here's here's the kicker here's the worst thing is that you could start with something and stay with it for years and then they go hey we're going to broadway we're replacing you <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, that happens too. You know what I mean? That happens to people as well. They put in all this work and they create, they create this role over years and years and years, and then they get replaced when it goes to Broadway. Well, thinking about the Beatles for a moment, of course, they would toil for years and years and years before they finally found the right producer in George Martin and hooked up with EMI. And of course, uh, within a matter of months, uh, had a number one song in Please Please Me, and the rest was history with British Beatlemania and American Beatlemania. So I'm going to give you the absolutely absurd question uh, that uh, is only fun on shows like this one uh, and would be an absolute horror in real life, and that is... If you're on the desert island, the proverbial desert island, and you have to pick one song, uh, which Beatles song is it? Why would you make that choice? I'll say a song, but if you ask me in an hour, I would say a different song, but probably a day in the life. The agony that you just seem to experience really demonstrates, I guess, the futility of this kind of activity, right? But... Uh, a Day in the Life is certainly a very, very good choice for that Desert Island experience. I think it's one of the most brilliant songs ever written by any anybody. Um, and it, you know, it's, it, it's in such a short amount of time goes on such a, a wonderful journey. You know what I mean? From, you know, you know, from the, the, the sort of the darkness, the dark melodicness of the verses to the, you know, sort of the more up-tempo, uh, um, you know, quirkiness of the bridge. You know the, the 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 symphonic outro, the symphonic, incredibly crescendoing, dramatic outro. Um, uh, you know the backwards messages at the end. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, um, I, I think that that would, pro you know, if there was one that could sort of satisfy in the smallest way all of those things, you know, it's it's that song. I think. 
Well, fortunately, this is just a mere thought experiment, and you don't actually have to be marooned on a desert island and limited to one Beatles song, but that certainly is a good one, and you're in great company because, of course, no less than Leonard Bernstein also listed that as his favorite. We'll be right back with more from Adam Pascal after this message. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to our conversation with Adam Pascal. Speaking of experiments or projects or what have you, I've been very intrigued with your project as an artist wherein you are juxtaposing music hall standards, music standards with uh, well-known rock tunes, um, which gives them, uh, through that juxtaposition, it gives us a new kind of reading of those songs by hearing them uh, next to each other. I wonder if you could tell us more about that project, which you've described, and, and I like the title personally, as the new standards. Yeah, you know, look, I, 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 I'm, I'm well aware that that the, the of the pretentiousness of calling them the new standards, <laughs> you know. Um, so I, 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 I get that, um, but I, I kind of went with it anyway. Um, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, look, I, my my musical background um, is is very specific with regards to my connection to musical theater. You know, I grew up obviously a rock fan. You know what I mean, and and the way and the music that I am most drawn to, and the music that I am most drawn to creatively to create, is of the rock genre in one way or another. You know, um, and so I thought it would be interesting to start experimenting with with some musical theater songs in a way that gave them a little bit more of a rock musical vocabulary than they were originally created with. Um, you know, like Not a Day Goes By by Stephen Sondheim is a, is, a, is a good example. Well, to my ears, it's more than just a, a great example of a song that you can juxtapose. It's a great example of your talent. And as folks will hear in this sample right now, it's just a beautifully realized song. Not a day goes by a single day But you're somewhere a part of my life And it looks like you'll stay As the days go by I keep thinking when does it end Where's the day I'll have started forgetting But I just go on feeling Sweating and cursing and crying Turning and reaching and waking and dying And now, not a day goes by And you can hear this and other songs on Adam's EP, The New Standards. Uh, and it's it's just absolutely terrific. And, and this song never fails to get me. What great stuff. 
Oh, thank you. I, I really, I'm really proud of that version. I thought it came out really well. Um, and it's interesting the way that I, the way that those come to me, like I don't necessarily set out to, to do a specific song. It, I kind of, what happens a lot of times is like, I'll be listening to a particular song or I'll hear a certain song and I'll just get an idea about like, oh, th that might sound cool if I do it this way or if I blend it with this. A, a lot of times I'll take songs and I will blend them. Um, and I, I don't know if I've recorded any of them, but like I certainly have performed many of them live where I will blend them with more modern songs. So one of the things that I've, I've, I've done a lot in my live shows is I've taken um, uh, the song Joanna from Sweeney Todd by uh, Stephen Sondheim. And I've blended it with uh, a Jeff Buckley song called Lover, You Should Have Come Over. And I've put those two songs together and like they work so well together. They just, they meshed so well. Well, certainly they do. And of course they, they create a kind of uh, drama together, which of course um, in your Desert Island song, A Day in the Life is what's so compelling. Here is a song that has different movements, uh, different storylines, uh, a very apocalyptic final note that is foreboding, uh, um, you know, even signifying as they wanted it to the end of the world. So how do you find that drama uh, in music, um, whether it's the Beatles or otherwise? I've always been incredibly influenced by music and drama, which I think is what drew me in many ways to musical theater um, because I, I've, I've always been a fan of the concept album. You know, the concept album has always been a, a huge thing in my life from Pink Floyd's The Wall to, to Tommy. Um, there's a band called Queensryche who I was a huge fan of. They had this amazing concept album called Operation Mindcrime that I was a huge fan of. Um, you know, all of this stuff, like, uh, you know, storytelling through music has always been uh, something that I have been drawn to. And especially these like, you know, entire beginning to end you know the wall i mean i know i just said it but like god have i listened to that thing a million times in my life and you know like and what an experience to listen to it from beginning to end you know what i mean like and and um and you know i hate to sound like an old man but like you know kids don't they don't they don't experience that anymore that's not the way they absorb music that's not the way they listen to music you need to be careful here adam the next thing you know you're going to be telling those kids to stay off of your yard <laughs> but you're right there is a different generational mindset at work to sit down for two hours is so foreign to them to to you know what i mean to to go on that kind of purely auditory journey you know what i mean for that amount of time is so foreign um but but is is such an incredible experience that I'm I'm so I feel so lucky that I grew up when I did. I couldn't agree more. I mean, we're roughly contemporaries, and uh, the experience of taking that auditory journal journey, as you just described it, is really something special and magnificent. Uh, but having said that, I think we're all going to be really pleasantly surprised with what. Generation Z or Gen Z brings to the table. These are folks who, uh, they're up for anything. I'm telling you, they are up for absolutely anything. They are excited about art, and literature, and music, and cooking, and you know, you name it. They want knowledge, and it's our job to clear those pathways for them. You're so right in that good, good art does always win out. And, and there are there are so many wonderful examples of people who are still sort of carrying that torch, you know, in many ways. Um, but on a whole, as as a society, obviously, we have 
evolved or devolved in any way you want to look at it um, in, 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 a, in a way that doesn't support that kind of uh, creative process. Record companies don't support, if they even exist in whatever way they even exist today, don't support that kind of thing. Um, you know, for the most part, people's attention spans are incredibly short. Um, but, but yes, great things, you know, there, there's something happening right now, very recently, these two young teenagers were, uh, they were given um, uh, uh, in the air tonight by Phil Collins to listen to, and it blew their minds. And and now now that song is like back on the charts. It's like number two. You know what I mean? Because like so it exposed all of these people to that song that had never heard it before. And it's such an amazing song that everyone was like, "Oh my god, this is awesome!" You know? But like you've got to present it to people and go, you know what? You, you may not have had the opportunity to hear something like this, but listen to it. And nine times out of 10, they're like, oh my God, that's amazing. Now, rumor has it that you're not just a Beatles guy, that for a time, it was all about the Bay City Rollers. Is there any chance that they'll get the new standard treatment so you can acquaint them to a whole new audience? <laughs> <laughs> I need to reacquaint myself to the Bay City Rollers. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Um, but they were the first... They were the first rock band that I remember being a fan of before the Beatles. Like it was like there was somehow I was I was given that record in whatever year it was in the 70s. And I remember it, I lived in the Bronx and I remember in my bedroom, I could only have been five or six years old um, putting on this record. I can even picture the record player. I had this yellow record player. I had. Um, and and just being mesmerized by this band and these songs, you know, um, and uh, and and they were the first. They have not returned to my <laughs> my auditory experience probably since then. Um, but uh, but they were the first. Them and Barry Manilow. Barry Manilow was also, uh, you know, um, I was exposed to him at that around that same time, and just fell in love. And still do. I mean, just an absolutely brilliant songwriter, and you know, um, but those those were the the earliest things that I can remember. I'm glad you mentioned Barry Manilow. You know, he's been kind of the uh, the whipping post for uh, for folks who knock bubblegum or saccharine music or what have you. But uh, he was so influential, particularly in the 1970s. Of course, during our own era, it would be tough to remember things without talking about COVID. You must be acutely aware of the experience of your colleagues right now on Broadway as they attempt to see their way through with, uh, well, Broadway in its entirety being dark until January 21. Yeah. Um, I, the only way out is with a vaccine. That's the only way out. Well, I know you stand with me in, in hoping that that, that that day comes soon, sooner rather than later when a vaccine is available because so much a great, great American art form uh, exists inside of theater and musical theater. And, and of course, Broadway is the great white light that leads the way. Ultimately, the live experience can never be reproduced. There are, you know, this the, the, life is going to change in many ways once 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 there is a vaccine and, and we quote unquote going back, going to go back to normal. There are many things that won't return because of 
the proven capability of, oh, I don't need to be there to do this. I can do this over Zoom and over the computer. Like there are so many businesses and things that now that like won't, I just read an article about all the, the empty buildings, empty office buildings in Manhattan and how they're gonna stay empty. You know what I mean? Because because a lot of these companies realize they don't need to spend all of this money. They can, All of this can happen and has been happening from people working at home, you know what I mean? So like a lot of things are gonna change, but the only thing that can't change is the experience of being in a theater and watching, and not just, uh, not just musical theater, but music in general, the live experience of watching performers in front of you. You know, I know Hamilton and the movie of Hamilton like is so popular right now and it's this huge thing, but you know what? It's only because it's Hamilton. It's only, you know, like if like nobody wants to watch a, a live filmed version of a stage show, <laughs> it's horrible. There's, you, there's, you don't get what you don't get the feeling. And again, the only reason why the Hamilton one is, expe- is, is, is successful is because it's this juggernaut of a of a of a, a, a meteoric show that is so it's the outlier is what it is. It's, it's not the norm. And it's not how this business is going to go. You know, I've read articles like, oh, this is the, 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 the new norm. No, it's not. Because you know what? I watched it or I watched some of it. I turned it off because I was like, this sucks. I don't want to watch this on TV. You know what I mean? This is not, this is not how this is meant to be. You know what I mean? Filming something on a stage is you're, you're mixing these mediums that aren't meant to be mixed. You know what I mean? It's like, they just, it it doesn't work, you know? And, and, um, and so I have faith in that idea. I have faith that like people will always want to get in a room and, and no matter what happens with technology, no matter how culture goes, I truly feel that the experience of being in a room will never be replaced. And I say this to my kids, and I use this as an example about their futures and their job opportunities. No matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens with culture, no matter what happens with technology, people will always need plumbers and plumbing. <laughs> There will never be, that will never go away. If, if you learn how to be a plumber, you will always work. If you learn how to be an electrician, you will always work. If you learn how to build with your hands, you will always work because there will never be a substitute for it. You can never, you know what I mean? And, and so I, 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 I feel like that that's the same, it's the same concept. There are certain things that no matter what happens, we will always need. We will always need somebody to do that thing you know, because we need it. I couldn't agree more. And uh, I think art, as as you've already said, will out in that way. People um, just absolutely adore being able to share live experience, whether it's a concert or musical, with other people in that kind of shared space. There are certain experiences that will never be altered. Thank you so much for being with us today, Adam. You've given us a lot to think about. Absolutely. Everything Fab Four is presented by Salon.com, the premier news, politics, innovation, and arts website. For more information about the podcast, visit everythingfab4.com, where you can learn more about our podcast and my latest Beatles-related book, John Lennon 1980, The Last Days in the Life. The Everything Fab Four theme song, Seize the Day, is provided courtesy of Black Rabbit, the high-octane Beatles cover band and innovative psychedelic rock project from Rockaway Beach, Queens, 
in New York City. Like what you heard today on Everything Fab Four? Be sure to subscribe, give us a rating, and recommend the show to your friends. Plus, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at EF4 Podcast. Distributed by Salon, Everything Fab Four is a wonderful all production with editing and post-production assistance from music industry and communication students at Monmouth University. Remember, it's a Beatles world, and everyone has a story.